Hey, uh, Liz, I, uh, I think we got to qu- quit doing the podcast. What? Why? I've been looking and this thing, podcasting is going to fail. People are already starting to watch videos more. Uh, apparently, um, talking in person's real big now, but <laughs> I found a new industry for us to get into. Uh, oh, great. What is it? Hear me. It's called Frontier Services Group. It's run by a guy, uh, uh, Mike King or something, Eric, I, something like that. All we have to do is we go into one of these cool countries in Northern Africa uh, and we train people. What do you mean train? Like you train know, them like, to podcast? Or like coding or something. Uh, I w- it wasn't super clear on that, but it's we like $20,000 a month. We don't know how to code. I mean, we could like, we could take a, well, the thing is we take a, like a little boot camp or something. We oh, learn how to code and then we go to Yemen. They send us to boot camp and then we go to Yemen. Yes, that is that Got is it. the thing. That is the thing to do. Um, tell you, we can make twenty thousand dollars a month, and they even they give you all these new clothes. Uh, and they said they let me fly a plane. I think this is a terrible idea. Well, I signed us up, baby. Podcast is over. <laughs> I love you. Fuck. Sorry. <laughs> hey, Liz. Hey. Can we delete that, please? Um. No. I'm overruled. <laughs> overruled. Also, wasn't. Wait. Are you overruling? You. I'm overruling. So here's Wait, are you a little behind. Are you overruling? I am overruling, and I'm just giving the <laughs> listeners a little thing about what happens in our podcast. Whenever Liz says something I find offensive, uh, possibly about my ethnicity. Uh, or about happens. the fact that you that you do do that. It's you do do that. No, don't do that. That's not true. And I hate <laughs> when you do this. My ethnicity is Belgian, by the way. Oh, oh, you talk. Oh, wow. Yeah. Also Jewish. Sorry, didn't know we were bringing that up. I thought you were talking about the Wallonian thing. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> Welcome. Cool. cool world. Cool. Welcome uh, to True Anon. Hey, I am uh, Brace, who, by the way, yes, I am from Walloon. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. I'm Liz. We are, of course, joined by producer Young Chomsky. And A vile Dutchman. Boy, oh boy, do we have an episode tonight. We've got, or today, depending on what time of the day you're listening to this. Um, live. This one's live. No. We'll do it live! Fuck it! <laughs> We're talking, oh man, I think a lot of people have been waiting for us to talk about this, so I'm pretty excited. We're talking Pizzagate. Mm-hmm. We're talking Podesta. Oh yeah. We're talking Cernovich. Uh, yes, ma'am. Roger Stone. Uh, sorry, I really did not mean to do that. I'm so All sorry. Right. I was going to make a group sex joke and I just no. burped. My bad. Well, and we're also talking about the big fish, Mr. Alex jones we're so excited should we get into it let uh let's let's uh press play don't really know where i'm going with this one let's roll the interview before i keep talking (laughs) 
Um, welcome to the main event. We have with us today, straight from, we had to get Q clearance to get this guy. I'm telling you, it was, it was, it was difficult. Had to go all the way to North Korea. We have with us today, Robbie Martin, uh, the director or creator of uh, a fantastic documentary, very heavy agenda, and uh, and the man behind Media Roots Radio. Um, welcome. How you doing, Robbie? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, absolutely. We have we have brought you here special to talk about something that I keep thinking is going to go away, and then returns <laughs> stronger and even more bizarre. Basically, every time I encounter it, like. Mm-hmm. We're not it's, talking about Benghazi. We're way. not talking about Benghazi. No, that never went away. So yeah. there's no way for it to return. <laughs> um, but with the with the recent like uh, hype and insanity around this like quote unquote Wayfair scandal last week, mm-hmm. really got me thinking a lot more about QAnon. And uh, Robbie did a very good two part um, little doc, radio documentary about him. So we had him on here to uh, to talk about some things that people often overlook or just may not know about when they're talking about QAnon. Um, so can you start us off here, like a little history of this stuff? I mean, going back to Pizzagate. Sure, yeah. Um, so, I mean, I first started being interested in this stuff uh, right when it was all coming out in the form of the Podesta leaks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember being really, really uh, like surprised by the fact that uh, you know, not only was sort of a child sex trafficking thing building so much momentum right before the election, but then when people like Drudge Report and, and WikiLeaks started actually sort of promoting that theory, um, that's when I that's when I became interested in it. And I there and I I'll be fully honest, like I actually for a moment thought if WikiLeaks is promoting it, if these different entities are sort of validating this, and this must be more than just sort of a regular conspiracy theory. Yeah. Yeah. And that maybe lasted for maybe a week or something. <laughs> um, but beyond that, I mean, there are some still, still some st- weird things within Pizzagate, little kernels here and there where I'm like, yeah, that's creepy. That's weird. Yes. But yeah. In, in general, like I just sort of, you know, thought, well, that, that was a really weird form of dirty tricks that someone played in the election because I had sort of been familiar enough with, you know, conspiracy stuff online, conspiracy forums to feel that there was something more to Pizzagate's sort of momentum and the people who were driving it than mm-hmm. a typical conspiracy theory. Um, so I felt that there was something odd to it that seemed like it was sort of like campaign dirty tricks, but I didn't really know how it was being done or, you know, and then the Mueller probe started happening and I thought, you know, maybe Mueller was even looking into some of that stuff potentially. I just sort of had that thought, but it wasn't until um, this QAnon character appeared uh, and this QAnon person actually started to weave the sort of Pizzagate narrative into a larger conspiracy about Trump taking down the deep state, um, specifically, uh, you know, all the Team Obama people like Hillary, yeah. James Comey, um, and then actually like sending them to Gitmo. So I remember <laughs> the first QAnon post I read thinking this, I mean, it did seem like a prank to me because it's essentially saying that we need martial law. Um, to take down Podesta and Hillary because there's going to be riots in the streets if people try to arrest Podesta. That's uh, that's one of the funniest <laughs> things about it to me. Like trying to imagine what like sort of depraved individual would like put on like Ukraine Maidan style or whatever body armor and like head to Times Square 
with a Molotov <laughs> cocktail because one of the Podesta brothers, or God forbid, both are, have been have been tagged and bagged and are uh, on the way to Gitmo. I mean, the premise of it is incredible. I love the premise of it, yeah, because it <laughs> it sort of hinges on this idea that that um, there is some sort of like fail safe maneuver w- with the Soros cabal or what you know, however they would describe it, where yeah. if any elite gets taken down, there'll be like instant color revolution, you know, right. to like stop yes. it in the United States. A girl playing piano <laughs> and like, someone handing like a rose yeah, yeah. to yeah, a yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just immediately. A slice I mean, of pizza. And that's totally been a theme, I mean, the whole time within QAnon is this general idea that pretty much, and it's tur- it's evolved into any opposition against Trump, anybody who's in opposition to Trump, anything Trump does to fuck up or look stupid, QAnon is sort of there to always explain it as some kind of 3D chess maneuver or Machiavellian move that Trump is eventually somehow going to take these people down. Um, he just is not doing it yet for some reason. But... Just the mere fact that it promised the arrest of Hillary Clinton like within 48 hours, two mm. years ago, yeah. um, to me just makes it so strange that, that so many people are still following it uh, now, like taking it this seriously now. Yeah, it's definitely like not, you, you know, it's definitely outside the realm of conspiracy theory, I would say. Like it's taken on a totally different um, like life or cosmos of its own. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, you you mentioned something that I just, before we kind of get into the, like, the meat of Q, I kind of want to get into, which you mentioned that when you were first kind of following Pizzagate, that it felt like it had campaign dirty tricks, like, yeah. to it. And I think that's, a, like, you mentioned it, that's an important aspect that gets, um, like, overlooked a lot, which is that it is really wild how much Pizzagate, like, it, like, stayed in public consciousness and like to the Mm -hmm. point of like politicians commenting on it, news anchors commenting on it. Like that is not normal for a conspiracy theory. Like that doesn't happen with nine 11 trutherism that really only happened with Sandy hook because of the lawsuit with Jones. And it was, and that took years for it to become. Yeah. Yeah. I mean like four or five years, like a long time. Mm -hmm. So this took like a couple of weeks. Yeah, this was like, yeah, within weeks, this is on MSNBC and all over the place, all over Twitter, all over social media. And that's just Pizzagate alone. Q isn't just on the chance. It's also being covered in the pages of The Atlantic. It's also being covered all over the place on Twitter. It's being pushed, like, constantly. And I think, you know... My, I think we probably share the suspicion that there's like a thorough line there that perhaps that the people that found Pizzagate, you know, however they were spinning and pulling out these stories from the Podesta emails, which, you know, again, by the way, there's like very interesting stuff in there that is not even Pizzagate related. If you want to, sure. you know, if you have questions and want answers about the Clinton Foundation, there's a lot in the Podesta emails that will tell you some stuff. But that potentially they found something useful in how Pizzagate was being, uh, you know, uh, used against the Hillary campaign or perhaps damaging to the Hillary campaign that then continued through the administration into QAnon. Absolutely. I mean, a hundred percent because part of my feeling was even before Pizzagate, like was even a topic in the mainstream media, like before the election actually happened, I remember thinking, wow, there's so much dirt in these emails that just legitimately speaking, like 
whatever's in there, the Republicans are going to immediately use it to try to start impeachment hearings on Hillary. Like the mm. instant she gets in office, if Benghazi <laughs> was something that they spent that much time on, can you imagine how much time they would have spent on all that stuff in those emails? <laughs> you know, if she won. So subpoenas I, of hot dog receipts. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then you, then you combine that with the idea that she's potentially involved in child molestation. So then you have all these rabid Trump supporters who are all of a sudden thinking, well, then she has to go down. You know, she's yeah. going to be arrested eventually. She's part of a child sex trafficking operation. So I think to them, it was almost like they kept expecting something to happen and sort of QAnon stepped in to glue together that idea that, yes, don't worry, Hillary Clinton and all these people are going to go down, you know, just like you thought. Um, and even before QAnon appeared, I mean, it wasn't just Flynn and other people saying lock her up. It was that there were actually like weird seeds being planted ever since Trump won that somehow there was all of a sudden going to be an indictment of Hillary Clinton and she was about to be arrested like Hannity. You know, mm. a few months before QAnon appeared was saying stuff like this on his show. So there were carrot on sticks being put out by the Trump administration somehow. And I think QAnon just sort of was came in and was like, maybe whoever in the Trump administration felt like they were getting tired, people were getting tired of waiting for these arrests. <laughs> um, they like f felt, well, maybe we need something to basically create this promise and extend this out as much as possible and just keep leading people down this path of, believing that Hillary and all these people are going to be arrested for whatever, you know, if it's child molestation or just being part of the deep state, you know, there's so many different things at this point. I, I think it's really notable too, is that it basically, it took people who might be like more um, amenable to like conspiracy theories about, for instance, like the U S government. I mean, certainly about the U S government as it stood like four years ago, uh, and essentially, like, made them either both inured to something like the Epstein stuff, where, you know, it came out, of course, Trump had a relationship with Epstein, many pictures together. I mean, people who listen to the show know what we're talking about. Uh, into thinking that, like, yes, every rich person, every famous person, everybody that I know the name of is a pedophile, except for Donald Trump. <laughs> and, like, so all the sex, any sex allegation against Donald Trump is a deep state plot to take him down by people who actually eat babies. Mm -hmm. And so like Brilliant. it it's 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 Chapo described them as a white hat pedophile sort of in these um in this mythos and I think that's a really that's a really good like description because he plays the role not only of like of the guy who's sort of the general behind this effort to clean up the darkness in our you know streets and our gutters, but he's actually himself like a an agent in this war too, and he was deep undercover for all those you know decades he was um you know hanging out with Graydon Carter and fifteen year old models allegedly. Yeah, no, it's the, there's a thing that QAnon people say is uh, that uh, like people like Eric Prince and all, all these other. You know, people people who were normally considered evil in the conspiracy movement, you know, like four years ago, like you said, like Eric Prince, who are now people that Trump keeps close because they know where the bodies are buried, Q supporters <laughs> will say. So that's always sort of the out or the talking point they'll use for like Rudy Giuliani, even Dershowitz, or any of these people who have a history of actually like doing weird or, you know, very sketchy shit. So it, that it's, there's always something there. And it is just such a cartoonish thing when you think about it. Not only is like this guy named Donald Trump, who is a, just a total egomaniac narcissist who 
doesn't really have like a clear through line of any ideology that he even cares about taking down the deep state. And then to think <laughs> that he's actually like cares about saving the children or stopping some kind of child sex trafficking operation or, or anything like that. Like, and they'll just constantly pull up these stats that I guess show that the FBI and different law enforcement organizations are, you know, stopping prostitution rings and child or some child sex trafficking operations. Although there's now like an umbrella term, you know, um, because of like the FOSTA and SESTA law that now like yeah. anything could be sort of seen under that umbrella. So that's what they just keep using as these stats. And they're like, no, look at these stats. He is saving the children and look at all these sealed indictments. So they'll just keep leaning on those things that these, I guess all these sealed indictments are secretly, you know, all of Obama's cabinet that are somehow not unsealed yet, but there, that's the, you know, we have to count on that being some kind of real thing. I don't even know. So I don't know where that particular thing is at now in QAnon, but you know, th- like you mentioned earlier, the Wayfair cabinet thing appeared almost in an absence of QAnon postings. Mm. So it almost sort of reflects this hungriness. It's like, they're getting so riled up and hyped up by QAnon right now that even just like 12 days off posting on 8kun is like enough to make them be like, we need, you know, we need something else. And then I don't know where the hell this is coming from, but it's just sort of taken over the attention of the Q movement for now. Well, the, the Wayfair thing I found interesting, for those who didn't follow that, uh, it, it turns out actually about a month and a half ago, a Q like Twitter poster um, posted something about how Wayfair is expensive cabinets with human names and therefore these are also the names of like Angelica. Well, there's a missing girl in 1997 named Angelica. Uh, that didn't take off. About a month later or whatever, a week ago, um, somebody posted on the Reddit conspiracy forum mm. that this was happening. And interestingly, it seems to have been propelled via TikTok and like 19-year-old or Zoomer or whatever Twitter accounts into being real. And the, the thing about TikTok that I find really uh, find really strange is that actually Pizzagate blew up so big on TikTok about a month, two months ago that they had to ban it, like ban the, the Pizzagate Weird. hashtag. QAnon, as far as I know, is not taken off. But, but at the same time, mm. I also saw like a 17-year-old, like regular-looking person like not like a crazy, you know, Q type, like sixty-five-year-old, uh, you know, in Florida or whatever, mm-hmm. um, posting about how Hillary, like, this is not in the news. Nobody's talking about this, but Hillary Clinton is being served for like uh, for child sex trafficking today, and it had like three hundred thousand likes on it, uh, and and people were just repeating it as fact. And I found that interesting is like this this you know QAnon sort of Pizzagate thing without even mentioning either QAnon or Pizzagate. That mm-hmm. becomes the Wayfair thing, and it become it like has mm. entered, permeated some like uh, fabric or whatever, and kind of entered into just like the mainstream discourse. Absolutely, it, it almost like it's taking on a life of its own. Although I, I still suspect someone is inserting that. I saw that QAnon personality you're talking about who was posting about that like a few weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, she may have been the source of that. Um, so the Wayfair thing, I mean. I think it just it, it seems like it's just the perfect time to create so much noise as to make the Ghislaine Maxwell thing almost seem totally insignificant. Yep. Which does is again interesting to think of that timing. You know, I'm not I obviously I can't prove this theory, but it does seem like some aspect of Pizzagate and now QAnon was sort of as Errol Morris uh sort of shows in his documentary American Dharma, 
Mm. Uh, Steve Bannon admits that it was basically just like the Roy Cohen counterpunch thing that we've always heard about Trump, you know, being taught that when he, when Trump was accused of sexual assault, you just fire back at your opponent. It's like, no, you are a rapist, you know? Right, that's, right, yeah. right. So that's essentially, you can almost see Pizzagate in a really boiled down way as that. It's like they raise the stakes so much in that war of trying to outdo each other in accusing either side of sexual assault that where can you go from there? It's like you've accused the entire other, not just the, your opponent, but the entire other team of being involved in a child sex tra- trafficking yeah. operation. It's a kind of a brilliantly done dirty trick October surprise. I mean, it's, I have to give it credit. Well, when you say brilliant, like I do, <laughs> I mean, that does make me want to mention a guy named Roger Stone because, uh, and if we're talking about uh, Cone, because you know, he had his hands all over Pizzagate, even though it doesn't seem, I mean, not a lot of people are, have talked about it, but, you know, he, he's someone who has been basically a mastermind behind the scenes in American politics for decades. Um, and, you know, he knows how to market and strategize and, like you say, throw that counterpunch. And, I, you know... It seems to me that it's very probable that he was a main pusher of the Pizzagate stuff as a campaign strategy, yes. like you mentioned. Hundred percent. I mean, zero doubt. And just the idea, like, I don't, I don't buy into RussiaGate. I usually don't yeah. fall, you know, go down the rabbit hole of trying to figure out what WikiLeaks connections are were to Roger Stone. But I watched the Alex Jones episodes, uh, you know, a month before the election where it was like Roger Stone did know that something was going to come. I don't know what he knew was going to come, but like you have to think about who this man is too, like even just beyond the political dirty tricks that he's played. He he's very close with the DC madam. Um mm. I, I think the one that mm-hmm. sort of mysteriously committed suicide. Uh and he's, you know, he t- he's taking credit for taking down Spitzer somehow. He had knowledge about his prostitution habits. He, you know, Roger Stone has been involved in the world of like cuckolding for decades. Long so time, I, famously. So, yes. So I think <laughs> that there's something there too, where it's like Roger Stone, you know, maybe has more experience or knowledge about sort of the psychosexual, where mm. he can just sort of, you know, plug that into his political dirty tricks in, a, in sort of a way that other people haven't been able to. I mean, and if you want to talk about like a way to try to smear someone over something sexual, even though there's no evidence to suggest that, you know, even Podesta has done any of these things, it's his reputation is like forever destroyed. It, it almost doesn't matter that there's no evidence. Yeah. Well, let's 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 talk real quick about you mentioned WikiLeaks there and and sort of Stone uh, in 2016 on Alex Jones's show, like how, who really set the ball rolling with a lot of this stuff? Because obviously a lot of it just like appeared on the internet, right? Sure. Um, but like who helped propel it into not even necessarily the mainstream, but into like the staging area for the mainstream? You know, like maybe third rate right wing sites that get put onto Drudge Report or something like that. Like, who were, like, the main actors that we're talking about here in 2016? So it was very specific. Um, it, like, I saw it as Breitbart, um, 
you know, Breitbart actually didn't touch Pizzagate directly. A lot of mm. these right-wing outlets weren't promoting it. They didn't touch it specifically. But Breitbart ran a really interesting article two, or I believe, I want to say three days before the election, um, where Eric Prince came out on their radio station and essentially created enough connective tissue to make it appear that Pizzagate was about to be like blown wide open as a real thing. So he didn't just be like, yeah, there's some, we're hearing some things about this thing. It was almost like he, I mean, he literally said he had NYPD sources that he was speaking with that were involved in the Wiener investigation that had discovered child pornography on his computer, the sexting with the 15-year-old. And Eric Prince said that not only were Hillary's missing emails on there, but there was also evidence tying her to some kind of child sex trafficking thing involving Huma and Anthony Wiener. And I think that what he was doing was basically trying to dog whistle Pizzagate's real, everybody. It's, yeah. it's about to be like blown open. It's real. It's true. All of it. Um, and then that came at the same day as that spirit cooking story from We Are Change uh, by Cassandra Wait, Fairbanks. T- t- yeah, tell it, give, our, give our listeners a little summary of what that is. So I actually incorrectly stated this on the podcast. So it wasn't John Podesta who was uh, setting up a spirit cooking performance at his house. It was actually Tony Podesta. So Classic Tony mistake. Pod- <laughs> Tony Podesta. <laughs> Was uh, was apparently interested in having Marina Abramovich, this performance artist, come over his house and do a spirit cooking performance, which is sort of this like pagan ritual thing that Marina Abramovich has done. She's I think she's been doing it for like thirty or forty years. There's it's she's she's a famous performance artist who celebrities love, and she's probably like the most famous performance artist in the world at this point. Mm-hmm. So she's like a generic Hollywood you know person. She probably you know gets enormous paychecks for coming to these banquets where she, you know, creates a cake of herself and lets people eat pieces of it, you know, and then now Pizzagate people are like in love with those images. They think that that's like some kind of cannibalist child sacrifice ritual or something, but that's, that's essentially what it was. And they found, you know, they found all these other connections in the emails. Um, They started looking back in archives about Tony Podesta's art, that he was into creepy art and he was into creepy art. Oh, yeah. Um, but I've actually been told, uh, and I, I mean, well, I'll just leave it there, that Cassandra Fairbanks deliberately uh, ran with that story. She did not discover spirit cooking in the Podesta email. So let's just put that out there, get mm-hmm. that out of the way. Um, she wasn't lucky enough to stumble on the phrase spirit cooking. She was fed that phrase somehow. But I also think, I mean, mainly it was sort of designed to do what Eric Prince's story in Breitbart was designed to do. It was designed to create this sort of reality out of Pizzagate that yeah. it wasn't just, you know, this code or what were these hints or, or what are they talking about? It was now actually, whoa, these people are practicing like satanic rituals. They're definitely pedos now because, you know, if you're a, a Satanist, well, then you're automatically a pedo. That's it. It's like, so, uh, but I think that that story also created what I would describe as satanic panic intentionally. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of been a theme, too, of QAnon this whole time, as QAnon actually uses words like demonic and things yeah. like to describe Trump's opponents, which is also very Alex Jonesy as, as well. Yeah, well, so you say Cassandra Fairbanks here, and for, for listeners who are not familiar with this um, woman, she is a, she kind of came to prominence during the tour. I don't know how else to call, what else to call her. I don't know what job she has. But she came to prominence during the 2016 election as 
one of like a certain kind of like not official by any means, but like a popular pro Bernie character mm. uh, who's like young, uh, well endowed, and like sort of uh, very, very, very uh, ag- aggressively against Hillary Clinton. Of course. You know, it goes without saying that if I was in charge of a prison on an island, I would li- I would put Hillary Clinton there. Not like the Gitmo thing, but some kind of prison, Alcatraz or something like that. Um, but there was I always found there was something weird about her. And I was right because when Bernie lost the primary, she didn't just like not vote for Hillary Clinton like a normal person would. She actually became like incredibly pro-Trump. And masked it by saying that she was, like, anti-war or, like, for Julian Assange or, like, something like this. But and she very did get quickly, clo- very close to Julian Assange, too. Yeah, yeah. Yes, which I have some some questions about as well. Um, and, and then I, I was shocked when I was talking to you earlier. You, you basically showed me how close she was to Eric Prince. And could you explain who Eric Prince is, too? Because sometimes we get listeners maybe not familiar <laughs> with these people. Sure. Well, Eric Prince, I mean, used to be seen, it used to be associated with like the Bush administration, the war on terror era, uh, you know, the behind the private army Blackwater, who uh, the company changed names several times. I think it first changed to Academy and then was mm-hmm. later changed to Z. And now it's actually changed back to Blackwater. Uh, they put ads in uh, Guns and Ammo magazine and different um, gun magazines, hunting magazines, saying we're back with the bear print, you know, yeah. uh, logo. The classic Rhodesia <laughs> thing where you put ads and, uh, and get, get your recruits. I just, just to pause for a second, the fucking balls on these guys to be like Blackwater is back. Like this, that makes me, I hate this country so fucking much that Blackwater is able to just be back. Yeah, but yeah. to put it also the other way, like Blackwater was like a huge mercenary group, to, and yes. I guess is now again during the Iraq War and the and rendition like, scandals. Exactly, and not they did basically. I mean, if, a, 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 a contracting takes up a giant percentage of like our military. Like, I think there's more contractors than soldiers in Iraq, for instance, right now, and are regulated. Well, not regulated really, <laughs> even by the incredibly low standards of the U.S. military. They're outside of that code of justice. Um, and yeah, like, you know, they were involved in a, a giant massacre in Iraq with very few punishments meted out for that, uh, massacre of civilians. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so sorry, go on. So yeah. he's black, uh, Blackwater's back. And just to say that Blackwater has, like you said, become among other things. I just can't believe that they can be so, um, obviously garish and it's, it feels like an announcement of war or something to be like Blackwater is back because of yeah. how. Yeah, anyway. And I think it is on some level. Yeah, um, totally. I think what people, I think, missed over the past few years is not just that, like, Eric Prince, uh, I, I believe Betsy DeVos is his sister, right? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. it's not yes. just that he has siblings in the administration running the Department of Education or whatever. It's that he's actually, um, you know, he's been part of sort of Trump's advisory team. Mm-hmm. And there's been articles saying that um, he's actually been hired by the Trump administration to fight the deep state, to fight deep state spies. So to me, that speaks to some sort of form of counterintelligence or information war. So, mm-hmm. and uh, I wouldn't, I mean, it doesn't, I, I don't know how many Blackwater people are actually like overseas right now still, if how yeah. much, you know, how many contracts are still getting from the U.S. government. Um, but I would suspect that that's where Eric Prince's focus has been because he peer, appears to be involved in this sort of QAnon Pizzagate thing. 
I would say he he does seem to be doing some kind of information or counterintelligence mm. stuff with with whatever engine Blackwater you know was or is. Well, there's been those rumors for so long about his like million man army that he has in China, alleged or like right outside of China that he's been training for a long time. And I mean, he was doing. I know that they were doing lots and lots of um, like uh, air defense, uh, like. Oh, they were starting an air force. I think. I, yeah, I, I, like I over read, Syria, they were basically using it as a training testing ground, ground, testing yeah. ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, he's everywhere. That. He's literally everywhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's like when we talk about these, the Spider Network, the scariest people in the U. He is the like the modern incarnation of that. But Robbie, tell me, like, because I, I thought that's what was so interesting about the documentary you did. Tell me what you sort of the the shape of what you think Eric Prince's involvement in QAnon is. Well, I think that he is some in some way or some form pulling some of these strings in the background. I mean. His relationship with Cassandra Fairbanks, um, I have learned, actually goes mu- you know much further than just that you know obvious softball interview she did where she just let him pitch his Afghanistan war privatization plans on big mm. league politics. Um, I just think that the timing of those two articles coming back to back reflects some form of coordination between the two. Um, you know, it, uh, three days before the election. But I forgot to mention just one thing I wanted to say really quickly is that the, the reason why I think that these articles coming out the time that they did was important is because they all went to drudge. Um, and at the time, maybe he's lost some influence since the Trump era, but I think drudge at that time was still like on the top of his game. He was he still had, you know, one of the probably uh, biggest conservative websites out there. Um, so I think that can't be understated how big of an effect that that had. And he seems to have gotten cold feet in terms of like promoting infowars and things like he used to, and I and I don't know what that speaks to, um, but I, I guess beyond that, I don't really have more evidence about what what Eric Prince's actual involvement in this is, other than his rhetoric, um, the people that surround him, uh, and and like and some of the people that surround him, dog whistle to Q, uh, this guy who's actually part of the um, the CEO of Silvercore. Uh, mm-hmm. Those that other mercenary force that tried to overthrow Maduro. Yes, uh, yes. Uh, not a guy well. from that w- uh, who got arrested in Venezuela was discovered to be a Cuban honor. So it yep. just seems like at this point it's a virus that's almost gone mm. everywhere. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would I would love for someone to actually ask Eric Prince about it to see what his response is because that's something new that's just starting to happen as as media are actually asking Trump officials or affiliated people about this. What about another another pair of personalities you mentioned? Uh, you talked about Roger Stone sort of grooming Alex Jones um, in certain yeah. ways. And like that is something I've noticed about – or there's something about that that I've noticed not only with Jones and like sort of the Jones sphere, but also with uh, militias, right? Like the militia movement. In, in the past, like a lot of militias have been patriots but basically just against the government, right? Like – uh, in in this sort of modern era of of Q and Trump, um, both patriots and like a lot of 
pro Jones or like Jones listeners, people who subscribe to to most of what he says. Mm-hmm. Um, both of those groups have become like very much pro Trump and like willing to like. I, I mean, you, you did a great job of explaining how that happened, but like, you tell our listeners like, what is sort of jo- the metamorphosis of Alex Jones here? Well, yeah, it's it's very interesting. I mean, Alex Jones used to act like he was bipartisan and he would talk about, you know, the left and right being this, you know, either side of the same coin. And he would, that, so he would create this sort of big 10 approach. Um, <laughs> it, it started to evolve to be a little more partisan. Well, not a little more, a lot more partisan during, I'd say the second term of Obama, especially um, Rand Paul, the tea party, Ted mm. Cruz, Sarah Palin, th- that sort of changed the character of his show a little bit. He like, started to want to appeal more to the Tea Party people instead of saying, hey, guys, this has been co-opted. It, what's weird about the Tea Party is you can actually take it all the way back to, like, the Ron Paul truthers who were, like, Alex Jones fans. Like, that was the original, very first iteration of the Tea Party. Um, so I think Alex Jones maybe felt like he had gained some power or more influence through that. And his program actually did grow very large after that. He seemed to be bringing in a lot more money. His budget seemed to go way higher. His production value seemed to drastically increase. His reach seemed to increase. And then it really wasn't until Roger Stone um, started just going on his show, like in 2015. And not just going on his show as a guest, but like going on his show as a Mm co-host, like every other day of his show, um, to the point where it did seem like it was just a part of the Trump campaign to steer Alex Jones's audience in the direction of supporting for the first time a mainstream candidate in the general election. Yeah, those episodes in particular with Stone are I mean, Alex, I mean, you know, Infowars is always a roller coaster ride if you ever watch an episode, but the ones with Stone are in particular like pretty wild. <laughs> um and I mean, it was like I think it was in 2015, they start basically he starts like softly suggesting that well, Trump is going to reopen the 9/11 commission. And oh, yeah. starts going after Jones's like truther audience to try to like appeal to them. Like it seemed, it was like at the time. I mean, I think you're completely correct to point out that it felt like direct campaign outreach to the kind of Alex Jones audience. I and I think that the truther thing is especially important because there are some people out there, you know, and I was much more involved in this world uh, many years ago, but there's some people out there still who that's like their voting issue. If yeah. any candidate out there is like, I want to investigate nine 11. They're like, okay, I'm voting for that person. It's like, it's, there's still people who are really focused on that. And at the time, the nine 11 and Alex Jones thing was still, he was still focusing on a lot on yeah. that issue a lot. So for, for him to actually, sort of validate that idea that Trump was some kind of secret 9-11 truther, mm-hmm. I think it was extremely huge. And I saw the shift myself. I started to see prominent truthers in the movement go from, you know, uh, bashing Trump to all of a sudden saying maybe he is a truther. And then, and then actually there's a sort of a weird thing happening where people started pulling videos of him out saying that he doesn't think that the, like there's a video of him talking about the buildings falling that people started using and saying Trump is actually a truther. Then a strange website, um, oh, I want to say Neon Nettle, I, maybe I'm getting the name wrong. There was, a, there was a couple weird websites that started pushing literal fake news about like fake Trump quotes saying he was going to investigate Building 7 and all these things. 
Huh. And that was going around the truther community. So I don't, that's more of a mystery to me. I don't know where that stuff came from. But there were several things, but, but sort of Roger Stone confirmed it, you know, made it all seem plausible. Right. Yes. Alex Jones made it seem plausible. And I actually, I think uh, what Roger Stone did, whoever's idea that was, they studied the Ron Paul campaign playbook because there was a direct line between the 9 11 truther community, Alex Jones's audience, and people mm. who got Ron Paul to get enough votes to, you know, become sort of a well known figure in the primaries. Um, and the, those money bombs. Most of that money came from like 9-11 truthers who watch Alex Jones. I, I legitimately think that someone saw what Rand, or Ron Paul was able to do, and they were like, let's just do that again, but like, let's use it for Trump, essentially. Yeah, yeah, and that's like kind of what I keep, why I keep kind of going back to Stone with all this stuff is because, you know, I'm totally not surprised that those like, those like, you know, sham websites popped up and these videos started popping up purporting that for Trump, by the way, the idea of Donald Trump being a truther is so funny to me. The idea of Donald Trump having an opinion about anything in general is very funny to me. That that like high school football team comes and he has all the McDonald's like, before you guys eat this though, (laughs) you got it. Did you know that George, George Bush senior was actually with a bit. Yeah. Donald Trump is like, you know, 10 years running a no planer, but, uh, no, no, I, I don't know why that's so funny to me, but it, it strike it, it reminds me so much of like viral marketing campaigns and like how marketing teams make sure to like, I mean, it's astroturfing, but it's like way more, um, it's like more updated. And, and I think it also kind of has something to do with how this is all morphed into a, like how QAnon has almost morphed into a lifestyle brand oh, outside yeah. of itself, right? And that these, you know, the, the you know, the way this, the, all these ideas about Trump and linking it to existing conspiracy and linking all this kind of like fake, you know, like you say, these websites or these quotes or whatever, like this is such a good like lattice work of what ends up becoming like, you know, a new Nike brand for, you know, downtrodden Americans who don't, you know, who are on Facebook all day. It's no, it's incredible. I think, I think that's, it's what's really incredible to me about it is that Alex Jones and Infowars and all the money he accumulated and all the influence he accumulated, he wasn't able to take it to this level. Yeah. So the fact that like an anonymous for 8chan poster is able to like take it to the level yeah. over the top like you're describing that it's gone is just like it's unbelievable it must like feel pretty shitty for him i have to say well he he's yeah. pretty anti <laughs> anti q now well but we should talk about that because he was he himself like pushed q like yep. post-election i mean like because it seemed like him and stone were like buddy buddy and um, almost like he was enamored with the whole thing. Maybe it was like more fame, bright lights, etc. But he he was pushing Q like to the point where he was. I mean, he suggested that he had talked to Q. Yeah. That he that he himself could verify that this was someone close to the Trump administration, and he was there to take down the deep state and all this stuff. Yep. Um. But and it, but now has totally changed his tune, which is like another interesting kind of arc or texture to this whole i don't know fabric whatever yeah it's it's a really interesting uh sort of a little event that happened in the chronology of QAnon, where 
uh, and it happened kind of a, a really close time period, is WikiLeaks finally commented on QAnon after like not saying anything about it for like two years. And WikiLeaks posted an article by Whitney Webb for Mint Press News that was essentially accusing QAnon of being some kind of neocon psyop because of the Iranian (laughs) regime change stuff it started pushing. Mm. And so when that happened, you know, Q commented that um, just some nonsense poem, basically, cryptic poem, uh, where he said dead can't bounce, which I guess is a stock market term. Um, I don't really know. I'm always saying that. (laughs) (laughs) So, So that happened. And then, um, you know, Jerome Corsi, this whole time that QAnon has existed, Jerome Corsi was sort of like Alex Jones' main researcher. And people may forget this, but Jerome Corsi was actually assigned to be part of the White House press corps when Trump yes. got in the in office yeah, originally. Yeah. So there is a direct through line here from like Alex Jones' Infowars to the Trump campaign and like the administration. I mean, Jones was saying uh, like in October – um, right before the election, that he's talking to sh- uh, Trump's shadow campaign on a daily basis, and they love his ideas, and he's like giggling in- to himself as the you know the cameras panning out to like cut to commercial or whatever. <laughs> um, you know, Alex Jones is a bloviating egomaniac, so it's it's hard to tell how much of what he's saying is actually true. Yeah. But the odd thing is, I think that there is something you know to Q that is connected to the Trump administration, or maybe Jones was being told to basically be the filter for this anonymous HN poster who's like connected to the Trump administration. I don't really know, but Jerome Corsi was the guy, I guess, who was Jerome Corsi claims that the Trump administration actually hired him to decode Q for the public. So that's what Jerome Corsi is saying on the Alex Jones show. And apparently Q did not like one of his decodes of the posts, (laughs) Um, which is not surprising because like Alex Jones just says crazy off the wall shit all the time on his show. So it's a matter of time before if you're, trusting alex jones to like stay on script you're an idiot so yeah so q was like yeah there's i, I don't know what q's initial comment was but it, someone asked q again like what's the deal with alex jones like is he you know like he does seem like a larp or you know they're accusing alex jones of being a larp in hn and q just posts a link to the article about the sandy hook lawsuit where alex jones admits he's a performance artist so as soon as that happened <laughs> oh shit as soon as that happened, Shots Alex fire. Jones, it was it was it was like all out. Talk war. about counterpunch, yeah, 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 yeah. And Alex Jones was not pleased by that, and uh, he immediately went on this <laughs> weird assault against QAnon, saying that QAnon had turned anti-Semitic, and that mm. QAnon was suddenly controlled by the deep state, and the team that he knew that was part of Trump's military intelligence team or whatever, oh yeah, had Classic. now been compromised, and the account had been taken over. Which is really funny to me because Q has never really said anything about Israel or anything anti-Semitic. I think Alex Jones just got confused at all the A-chan posters, like firing, mm, yes. you know, tweets at him or whatever, he, he saying he's like an Israeli shill. Talking, yeah. So, well, that that's the thing is that like, I think there's been like a couple times. To me, it's always seen like Q like try it like tries to say hip right, and like when the alt right stuff was going on, I remember seeing like a lot of stuff about like. You could call them dog whistles about like the Rothschilds, etc. Um, but like, yeah, I, Q's like main sort of group. Uh, his main his main constituency are people who fucking love Israel, and so he can never get too crazy on it. Um, but yeah, I, I thought that like you, you mentioned something in a documentary about how Alex Jones, and and this is something I've been thinking about for a while. Alex Jones and people who like Alex Jones and like militia people, all of these people 
have warned for like decades about martial law and about government overreach. And then the second that someone posts about uh, a non-existent basement in a pizza restaurant run by a guy who's probably a shitty guy, uh, (laughs) but probably not doing the frazzle drip baby eating video. Um, That like all of these like these people and there's a lot of these people go from from being against martial law and talking about Jade Helm and stuff like that to being like, please do Jade Helm um, for real. Yeah, that's I mean, that's when I was like, this has to be I mean, it's not just a prank because it's obviously causing like real damage and it's influencing a lot of people. But it almost seems like what can we do? What's the craziest thing we can get like InfoWars supporters to believe? What about if we get them all to believe in martial law being necessary? <laughs> I mean, it do, it does seem like a, a total prank in that regard. That and then and then the, the fact that it actually worked with and, and the reasoning for it. If you read the Q post, is why we need. He keeps calling it emergency military command, and that Trump will call in the national guard. Um, I don't even know if Q actually used the word martial law at the get go, but his that's what he's saying will happen. Yeah, and. I don't, you know, I don't know how quickly the transition took place, but I think it also helped that Alex Jones, while he was still on Team Q or whatever, also started saying that we need this. Like Alex Jones, for the first time ever, was promoting martial law on his program mm. and saying that we need like mass arrests of protesters. Like I think he was even saying this about the Women's March or something. Like he was already yeah. on that back then, but but it didn't. But- it started to get really amped up. But you're right about how. Strange it is that the militia movement for decades, you know, they've had a lot of figureheads over the years. It's not like Alex Jones is the only one they've had. Of course. And the fact that they would suddenly all get behind Trump and martial law um, is incredible. And I think that that speaks to something that actually could mean that it's not just some kind of Trump campaign thing, that it actually might be of use to some kind of intelligence service. Mm, I mean, that's what makes me sort of zoom out from it and think... What if this is some kind of way to just like completely, you know, I'm not, I don't subscribe to the militia movement, but what if this is a way to just completely cripple it, you know, moving forward in some sort of fail safe way, you know, because it's like, what did Hitler need to do with the brown shirts? You needed to eliminate them eventually. Mm-hmm. You, I, I, I kind of almost see a similar thing here playing out. And I know I'm speculating, but it's, I don't know, there's similar flavors of it. Or turn them pro-government, which is, like, that's the really, like, strange, I mean, that's the real strange (laughs) twist, which is, like, I mean, I think Q, you know, Q always, or for a long time, would, like, conjure the, like, specter of Antifa or, like, the Muslim Brotherhood or whatever. Huma. (laughs) Yes. Follow Huma, Operation Mockingbird. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) Mockingbird. Um and that it's like watching how the like fear of Antifa proliferate through the media over the past four years has been something to really witness too. And I, I mean, I really do think that QAnon and the way that it's, um, and you know, and in tandem with the Trump admin public statements, but also there's like an underlying social media current that Q pushes that Antifa is this insane threat. That militias will need to turn, you know, basically team up with the federal government through yeah. martial law to take down. No, you're absolutely right, and I think that the way that they've managed to do that, it's not just the hatred of the left by itself, which is all obviously very powerful and has grown significantly because QAnon is basically telling people that you know Nancy Pelosi's a radical leftist, so anybody to the left. I'm of always her saying is a, that. <laughs> yeah, 
is a you know a deep state pedophile or whatever in theory. Um, so yeah, if you read the QAnon post, they're they're they've basically evolved into saying that Antifa, BLM, any leftist protest movement is a foreign plot or mm. is some kind of deep foreign. state plot. Foreign. The Chicoms, you know the 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 communist oh, Chinese communist party. Fucking guys um, who read like Jack Reacher fucking books are the only. You can always tell somebody who's like that kind of like Tom Clancy motherfucker is if they say Chicoms. Yeah, <laughs> which Alex Jones loves to say, but of yeah, I think it's evolved into that now. It's now the Q narrative has kind of shifted into it's the Chinese communist government and the deep state collaborating to take down trump because now at this point all the COVID 19 stuff is of course is being wrapped right. into the q narrative too that it escaped from you know it was made in a lab by Ch- the chinese government all all the right-wing conspiracies you're already hearing about COVID 19 are already being blasted out by q like yeah 100 yeah that that's that's something that's something i wanted to mention too is that like you talk about how that's being blasted i mean everyone people who listen to the show know that q has basically uh, enveloped and absorbed every other conspiracy theory, and then also like morphed into having its own really complex, intricate, and like filled with sect, uh, like sub movements. Like you, you know, like there's a large one that uh, says JFK Jr. is still alive <laughs> and is a frumpy man in a, like a little bucket hat who goes to Trump rallies uh, <laughs> and doesn't say if he is or isn't JFK Jr. But like. It has also absorbed like past conspiracy theories, both ones that are like really absurd and ones that are like you know sort of more more mainstream. And I, you, but but it's largely stayed stayed away from foreign policy. But you mentioned it in uh, Iran, and that is like I believe one of the rare instances where it has talked about other countries. And can you kind of explain what happened there? Yeah, so what happened there? We haven't mentioned uh, one of just one of the characters involved in this, Pasobic, Jack Pasobic. Oh um, yeah, who was actually recently revealed in a in a someone tried to associate him with neo Nazism, which he does seem to have some actual ties to. Yeah, I think it was an SPLC, this long piece. Yeah, there's, they revealed- there's I think three of them, and like he, uh, <laughs> yeah, he like base. I don't know if he is or isn't. I think he's more a grifter than anything. But yeah. he certainly thought that train was taken off more than it did. And, and maybe uh, it would have before, you know, it blew up in the media to the degree that it did. But yeah. he, he actually revealed, I mean, there, whoever wrote that piece revealed in there that Richard Spencer remembers Jack Posobiec as being just like a Roger Stone guy. That's how he used to tell, that's what, how he used to introduce him to people, is that he was Roger Stone's guy. And that mm-hmm. he not only had a direct line to Trump, but that he was like doing things for Roger Stone. So even his periscope at comet pizza i mean that could have just been a stone job i mean who did the rape melania sign it's probably stone it's it, yeah, yeah, it's stone it smells like roger stone but so i i don't even remember why i brought him up um you can't iran, not bring him the, up the, 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 the iran thing <laughs> yes so as soon as the the sort of alt-right people started shifting to uh promote the iranian protests that had erupted a couple years ago or a year and a half ago and started pushing for like sort of regime change rhetoric. It, it was like Pasobic, it was Mike Cernovich, it was mm-hmm. Cassandra Fairbanks. It was all the same people. And then Q just started pushing it too, like at the exact same time. And I remember thinking, wow, this is the first time where it was sort of all coordinated at once. And it seems like a direct sort of pivot from the actual Trump administration. Like, 
because, you know, foreign policy, this whole time, it's sort of like Hugh has been trying to say Trump is a hero. He's fighting the deep state. Maybe it doesn't say he's anti-war, but that sort of gets generally weaved into the narrative that Trump doesn't want war, that he's trying to stop war. People mm-hmm. love so, making that up. Yeah. I mean, even this recent thing about the, you know, that the Democrats are stopping him from withdrawing troops, I just feel that it's so reductive um, that if Trump was really serious about withdrawing all the troops in Afghanistan, he would use all his clout and exactly. power to do it. He would do a speech about it tomorrow and say, like, help me, you know, get all these troops home. So it just, the whole thing is just silly to me, but I, I think, yeah, that was a very clear cut example of all of a sudden Q pivoting to a foreign policy operation coming out of the Trump administration. Because, you know, maybe contrary to popular belief, the Trump administration and whoever pushes these foreign policy things still uses the same style of doing it as like mm-hmm. the neoliberal foreign policy hawks. Mm. They'll still... You know, they'll still blast out pictures of that woman throwing off her hijab in Iran and use that angle in the same way uh, the neoliberals would try to use it for a regime change path in Iran. So that to me was extremely notable because Q was posting that stuff too. It wasn't just, we need to help the people in Iran. It was like kind of going in that sort of funny line of like getting behind the protest movement in Iran. Like we need yeah, to right, help this revolution. Right. We're, We're, color revolution. We're supporting the people. Yeah, yeah. So I guess that's what made me think, you know, that this is definitely um, some, you know, po- just an extension of whatever the Trump administration's government's doing. Uh, I didn't, I didn't decide at that point that this is somehow close to Trump, but I, I have come to that belief over the past several months. What brought you to that belief? Um, <laughs> I think. <laughs> I mean, I think it's the honestly the tip top thing. Um, was so weird to me. I don't know if you guys know what I'm referencing, but where no. someone no. asked oh, yes, QAnon, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Someone asked QAnon for Trump to throw in the phrase "tip top" into the State of the Union speech, and he didn't. You know, the State of the Union speech came and went; nothing really happened. But then, like a month later, he does this Easter speech where he's talking about how the White House um, is great and everybody loves it, and some people like to describe the White House as being in tip top shape and he likes he like pauses and enunciates it in a specific way and he says and some people like to say it's tippy top shape he like says it again with like the modifier of tippy top (laughs) um i know that sounds insane but i i i mean at that point i was like okay there's something weird here maybe one of trump's kids said hey dad say tip top at this speech because it's like it'll like make people freak out on a chan or something like i don't that's all i thought it was at the time but now I'm actually more convinced that he's actually like somehow part of it. <laughs> so the, the funny thing is like that, that's kind of what I gather from, from your documentary is that the Q people think Trump is Q. I mean, even if they yeah. don't always say it, they're like, Oh, he's Q or he's Q plus. Or he's, he's sometimes posting as it, but like the alternative is like Trump actually might be Q, but, but <laughs> Trump might be the one who's quote unquote LARPy, not himself, of course, but like his <laughs> team, because you talk about all these figures. We've got, Jack Posobiec, we've got Chuck Johnson, we've got Eric Prince, we've got Cassandra Fairbanks. We didn't, I don't know if we mentioned him, but we have uh, Michael Cernovich, who kind of served the same role as as uh, as Posobiec, and yeah. who's also friends with Roger Stone, and of course Alan Dershowitz, just yeah. like Chuck <laughs> Johnson is Alan Dershowitz is, is his mentor, and so it's like we have this small closed group of people who don't form like. 
you know, we're not talking about like Trump's like foreign policy advisor or his fucking, I don't know what yeah. other jobs they have, but like the guy who actually does dig the basements in the pizza restaurant. But it's like almost this like sub shadow deep state within the Trump campaign administration or whatever that mm-hmm. it's like, it's, it's like guerrilla marketing. It's like how bands used mm-hmm. to have street teams. QAnon yeah. is like Trump's street team. Yeah, that's why I keep calling this group like their his brand management team because it's, it's like they're out yeah. there on like doing social media influencing, like they're influencers for the Trump admin, and they're doing it through you know fake influencer named Q, which is like such a perverse way to think about it, but kind of makes the most sense at least for me. Yeah, and I I mean I failed to mention that there's actual Trump officials now who are like blatantly promoting Q things. I oh, mean, yeah, and people Peter running Navarro. for Congress. Uh, yeah, the people running for Congress, but people in his administration, like one of his top advisors, Peter Navarro, wore a Q pin on an interview. Oh, um, God. Michael Flynn, you know, his whole family took the Q oath. Oh, God, uh, which yeah. is Which is also really dangerous to think that Q is not only just trying to dog whistle people into following along with a never-ending conspiracy theory that'll never... You know, an endless carrot on a stick. It's just also crazy to think now it's actually asking people to take an oath. Yes. I mean, that's when it becomes dangerous beyond just some kind of internet cult to me. Yeah. And Michael Flynn's family taking an oath on video. Um, I just He's think at that He's a fucking general. Yeah. I just think at that and point. And people you, love him, by the way. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's the like, hero. He's the main he's hero. A hero. Of this. He's like. I mean, we've talked about him before, but like, you know, people will would support Michael Flynn over Trump. Like, that's how popular Flynn is among like a lot of like former veterans or cops or whatever. Like, he's beloved in this country. I don't think I feel like a lot of people on the left like don't totally maybe because they're not paying attention or they don't care or whatever, but they really just like don't understand the like mythos of this man. Like, he's very, very he's a celebrity. I think that he's and he's also become unfortunately sort of martyred because you know mm-hmm. a lot of people are saying he was unfairly prosecuted in the in the Mueller probe. So then you have p- even people on the left sort of saying you know he's actually was yeah. un- it was unfair what happened to him instead of actually like digging into how bizarre his past actually is. I mean, totally. he co he co wrote a book with Michael Ledeen of PNAC. I yeah. mean, yeah. That's like insane to me. Michael Ledeen is not just any other old neocon. He's like literally probably the craziest one out of all yeah, the people yeah. on PNAC. Yeah, on in terms of like what he said on record. Maybe Paul Wolfowitz or some of these other people in private are crazier. They probably are, but Ledeen openly said some of the craziest shit. And he wrote like a Islamophobic screed about like basically destroying Islam because the whole thing is a secret sleeper cell. That's ah. the book he wrote with Flynn. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Flynn's you know, and it w- just talking about the Ladine family really quickly, Barbara Ladine, uh, I think she actually still has like a job on the Hill working for some kind of intelligence committee. And there was this story that really went out of the radar where during the election, Barbara Ladine solicited people on the deep web with the help of Eric Prince Excuse to try me? to get Hillary's missing emails. This actually happened. And what? I mean, so you just have to connect the dots here. It's like, right, that's, right. that's Michael Ladine's wife. Co-wrote a book with Michael Flynn. Could maybe the unfair prosecution of Michael Flynn actually maybe have something to do with getting revenge for that crazy shit? Because, yeah. you know, you got to think these people don't forget. It's like, yeah, maybe they couldn't find anything about Russia on him, but they're probably just like, 
yeah, this dude tried to pull some crazy shit, and we're gonna like get revenge on him. Like he also I mean, did like take a bunch of money from Turkey, which was very that, funny. well. That too, yeah. I'm not even mentioning all the other. <laughs> I weird mean, to be fair, like there is a heavy Kamalis current uh, in the upper echelons of the the, the <laughs> army. So, I, I guess we got to wrap up in a sec. Um, I don't even know how to like. This is such a. I, I think about this like if we zoom out, <laughs> the fucking very. Th- fact that we're talking about a quasi and sometimes overtly religious cult that has grown up around a president who is an insane person who like is like a bit it's like a he's a fucking simpsons character uh that thinks that uh jfk jr is alive that thinks that hillary clinton uh not only is a video in something called the frazzle drip eating a baby but is under arrest, uh, but still for some reason gets to hang out and walk around. I need to see uh, that video. I have I, this Frazzle Drip video. Please send me a link to it. I'm, oh, I'm, yeah. I've heard about it. I haven't seen it. Um. Fra- yeah. yeah. Uh, that ad- We didn't even talk about Adrenochrome, which, by the way, you mentioned Errol Morris. His son, Hamilton, I, I know him slightly through like punk music, and I messaged him. I was like, hey, can you get Adrenochrome? And he's like, yeah, you can. I'm like, well, what would happen if I took it? He's like, it would drive you insane. Like, it it has only extremely negative effects on you. <laughs> no so, anti-aging stuff. So the idea is that the elites are taking, like, a, a drug that just creates, like, total dysphoria? Well, yes. no, the, no, because there's a difference. What you could, you could only get chemical adrenochrome, Brace. Yeah. And what so that's you? different. The Does idea it? is that that's different than... Human harvested... <laughs> Okay. Which is what the that's elites the, that's are. That's the of good course. stuff. That's the primo, primo. Yeah, and that stuff, uh, you know, that's the real deal, real deal shit. So it's like the difference between like K two spice and like uh, some good like Mendocino, Mendocino <laughs> endo. Um, I, I, I want to mention really quickly. Do you guys see that video of uh, RFK Junior being interviewed on some? Yes. Podcast and, and and a commenter was like, "Touch your nose if JFK Junior still alive." Yes. Yes. <laughs> And he touches his nose. He t- and he totally yeah. touches his nose. Like obviously, like he does it really, like clearly. He's he's is signaling. So it's like we have fucking RFK Junior saying JFK Junior's a lot. Look, yep. all us ladies desperately want John John to be alive. Let's just be real. <laughs> um, but like, I mean, you have been in this sort of like uh, I don't know. You're like in the conspiracy theory community, and you have been for like a long time. But I feel like this is some like from that specific perspective, like mm. how the fuck do you feel? Like, has it just like what the fuck is going on here? Because this feels like beyond any conspiracy theory thing I could ever imagine. I mean, it leaves me honestly incredibly depressed. Like, mm. I, I, I guess I'm one of those people who has some kind of idealism about the conspiracy movement, mm. like the older iterations of what people normally considered anti-government conspiracy theories yes. i thought were a lot more quality and there was <laughs> it was easier to find good stuff out there that was actually like done by like people who are like investigative reporters I yes. mean, yeah absolutely i mean like let's take i mean i don't agree with them all that stuff he actually threatened to like take down someone i know but hopsicker daniel yeah. hopsicker was like classic one of these guys that i'm talking about he touched sort of third rail conspiracy stuff in an investigative reporting style john judge uh, mm-hmm. RIP. I mean, he is one of, to me, one of the most credible truthers. Paul Thompson. There's these people out there, you know, who like wouldn't even, they would be super embarrassed now even to call themselves a truther 
because of basically what QAnon has done. And not yeah. it's not all to blame on QAnon. It's just what has happened to this idea of like trutherism. It now is inextricably linked with basically being a Trump supporter, uh, believing uh, in you know that the deep state is just Democrats, believing that um, and that Satanism is real, and that these people are practicing satanic child sacrifice. So I, I'm very depressed by it, and I really want, I, I really wish people. So I, I appreciate what you guys are doing on your podcast because you're touching you know some of these issues that were sort of I think buried by the left over the years because they're mm. kind of like you know, they're, they they were sort of cast out, you know, like 9-11 truth. It's something that I think a lot yeah, of people yeah. were annoyed by and they yeah, just sort yeah. of left it to the side. But I think more than ever, it's kind of like, look at what has happened. The whole conspiracy movement has basically been co-opted. Yeah. Whether it's by QAnon, whether it's been by Alex Jones, even Trump. I mean, mm-hmm. he's, he's saying things. He just tweeted out Chuck Laurie saying that COVID-19 was fake a day yes. before his son got COVID-19. I mean, so it's, you know, the conspiracy movement, as we know, it has been totally co-opted. And I feel like, you know, it's not, I just would like to encourage people to just still sort of go back to those classic conspiracies. Yeah. Approach things from that angle. Use actual, like, real journalistic skills and strategies to look into this stuff. Like, make phone call. I mean, you know, there's a lot of thread, loose threads still out there. Um, and I just, still, so yeah, it bums me out. But um, I still think, you know, there's there's people out there like you guys, there's, so there are people, so I, it, it encourages me that it's not, you know, all completely uh, for not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, like, a lot of this stuff, too, is, like, the left's rightful ground. Like, I don't know how you can, you know... Well, like, the deep state is a left... Exactly, critique. exactly. Or it's Peter like, Dale wait, Scott. Like, it's like, how are you guys co-opting, like, even anything having to do with JFK? Like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, your team did JFK! Yes, it's Roger Stone. Like, it makes me feel crazy. Like, that's the thing. It's like, John fucking Bolton in this in the White House, and you're like a truther guy supporting this? It's like, you're, like, I'm sorry. I'm not, I don't really support anybody who's, like, friends or who themselves, like, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it blows my fucking mind. Um, Anyways, thank you so much for having us on here. We're going to link to, um, uh, to to Rob uh, Robbie's two part uh, series on QAnon below. It's really good. It's done like a documentary style too, so you yeah, don't hear excellent. like a bunch of jackasses flapping around. Um, and and to his his three part documentary on Project it's three parts, right? Yeah. To on Project of the New American Century, which fucking rocks. That's a video. Um, Thanks. And yeah. Anyways, Robbie, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having <laughs> me. I had a blast. This is great. Yeah. Right thank on. You. Uh, yeah. Good to talk to you guys. See ya. Q post. 7-17-2020. Where do the birds fly? Where does Liz live? What is Young Chomsky's address? 14. 26. South Van S. 22nd Street. 94110. And then I saw, I saw this post and I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? So I posted it a bunch of places. I hope you don't mind because I was like, that's crazy. He's talking about you guys.
Yeah, you're spreading those breadcrumbs. Oh, yeah. I'm a baker. I'm a baker. That's what a lot of people said, too. They're like, I'm definitely going to, well, they were like, I'm going to set this on fire, which is like what you do to bread. Oh, God. <laughs> that rocks, dude. Robbie fucking rocks. Yeah, I am, I'm he stoked rocks. about that. Um, love a, love an old school conspiracy guy. They know what's yeah, up. Yeah. Is, and also, by the way, if you have not watched A Very Heavy Agenda, fucking yeah. check it out. We got, we'll link to it. It is fantastic and a good accompaniment to any 9-11 stuff that, like, our episodes or other shit out there, very good. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess that about does it. Mm-hmm. Should we hang up these banana phones, baby? I wish we did have a banana phone. Oh, my God. <laughs> I would look so cute. Can't you see? <laughs> I can. Yeah. Can't you see it with a banana? Oh, my that God. That would like, be good. That would be hello. good. Oh, my God. That would be very, very cute. Well, uh, I assume your birthday is coming up at some point in the next year. That I can't remember. Shouldn't have admitted that. I will get you that, though. So I, I overruled myself there with a present uh, uh, promise. That's what I call all it. Right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. I'm Liz. My name is Brace. We are joined by producer Young Chomsky, who, as I mentioned before, uh, is Dutch. And we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Banana phone.